May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this is a festive occasion, Palm Sunday. Last week in the city of St. Louis, our city celebrated a festive occasion. You remember what last Sunday was? It was kind of a high holy day in the city of St. Louis, opening day of Cardinal Baseball. And uh, I read a, I read an article, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch had an article about this and talked about the festivities surrounding opening day. And it was interesting, they interviewed a lady who just happened to be in town from Plymouth, England. She had no idea what was going on. Uh, as the Uber driver's taking her to the city, uh, he said, you must be here from the game, for the game. And she said, what game? And she got out of the car and she saw this. She said, I saw this sea of people in red tops. Now, the interesting thing is she's a psychologist. And she said, this city is insane. Um, but, you know, I thought about this when I was reading and studying our gospel lesson today because I thought about this sense of excitement and expectation and, yes, devotion (laughs) that was here in our city last Sunday is something like what was happening when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. It was an atmosphere of expectation and excitement. The city would have been flooded with people. Uh, some scholars estimate that as many as 200 to 300,000 pilgrims would have been in Jerusalem. And uh, the city of Jerusalem normally had a population of 40 to 60,000 people. So the city would have been packed. And they were celebrating, of course, at the Passover, God's deliverance of His people when they had been under Egyptian slavery. They looked back at how God had saved them once, and they were looking forward for God to do it again. And it was into this atmosphere that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. This is day one of His final week. And He rides into Jerusalem to make a statement about who He is. Notice that it says in verse 10, when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was asking that question. Who is He? Who is this? And Jesus, in this enacted sort of parable, the way He comes into the city is answering the question of His identity, of who He is. So I just want to take notice of some of the details of this story that help us understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is portraying Himself as the Messiah, as God's Anointed One, as God's King. He is fulfilling the ancient prophecies of the Messianic King. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will say, and we see it here in this reading, He'll say something like, this was to fulfill what the prophets said. And here we see in verse 4, he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes a prophecy from the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 9. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
But everything that's happening on Palm Sunday, not just Jesus riding in on the colt of a donkey, everything is pointing to Jesus as the Messianic King. Let me just give you a few details. He begins his journey into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And there was an ancient prophecy about God's King coming from the Mount of Olives. On the day of the Lord, the day of God's salvation, it says God's King will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's Zechariah 14.4. So Jesus starts from the Mount of Olives, and then He descends into Jerusalem, which of course is what? The city of David. And Jesus is proclaimed here as the Son of David. And it's from the line of David that the Messiah is going to come. God promised to David that your throne will endure forever. That the kingdom of David, from the line of David, is going to come an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus enters into the city of David to really announce that He is here, that the King has come. It's interesting because Jesus, throughout the Gospels up to this point, has been reticent to proclaim His identity as the Messiah. And He's even told His disciples, don't go around telling people that I am the Messiah. He wants to fill out the role of the Messiah. He doesn't want to be squeezed into people's prior conceptions of what the Messiah is all about. But now, on Palm Sunday, He's presenting Himself very clearly as Israel's King and as the King of the whole world. Jesus even demonstrates the authority of a king when He takes somebody else's donkey and colt and says, I need it. I mean, who has the authority to do that? To take somebody else's property? Only a king. Only somebody in high authority. He says, I'll give it back, but I need it now. So he's demonstrating the authority of the king. So he's being very deliberate. He wants his disciples to know. He wants the crowds to know that God's promised king is here. God's promises are being fulfilled in me. God did not forget His ancient promises. God is still at work in history. God is keeping His promises. And friends, it's important for us to know and to believe and to confess this as well. That God is sovereign over history. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises in history. That Jesus is the center of the meaning of history. It's important for us to remember that God is sovereign today. And that Jesus is the center That ultimately, history is His story. His story. It's important for us to remember this on a day like today, when we woke up to the news that our brothers and sisters in Egypt are under attack. And they've suffered another church bombing. And the last I heard, 25 um, Coptic Christians were killed on Palm Sunday. And we look at these events and we say, is there any rhyme, is there any reason... It's hard to piece it together. But the Scripture gives us assurance, and Jesus gives us assurance, that God, yes, is active in history, and God is sovereign in history, and things are moving towards a conclusion. He is the King, and one day, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And right now, those people who were murdered in that way are martyrs of the faith, and they're enjoying the presence of God. 
and understanding what it's like to be part of this eternal kingdom that's going to endure forever. History has a goal. History has a purpose. God is sovereign and Jesus is the key to history. That's the biblical view. He came as king and he's coming again. Amen? He's coming again as king. And then Palm Sunday answers the question, well, what kind of king is Jesus? What kind of king is Jesus? And Palm Sunday teaches us that Jesus is a king of peace. Jesus came as a king of peace. Behold, the prophecy said, your king is coming to you humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 7 says that uh, when the disciples went and did it, Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. He sat on the cloaks that were on the colt. Okay. Some people try to poke fun at the Bible at this point. In verse 7 they say, well this makes it sound like Jesus was trying to ride the donkey and the colt. No, he's riding on the cloaks that were on the colt. And it's a demonstration, of course, an unmistakable sign of Jesus as the king of humility and peace. As Jesus is seated on this colt that is trotting alongside, perhaps, the, the mother, the mare. We know that the Jewish people were looking for another kind of king. They were looking for a warrior king. They were looking for somebody to deliver them in military fashion. They wanted their king to come riding on a war horse, on a stallion, proclaiming victory and liberation from the Roman oppressors. And they must have thought, as they heard about Jesus, and some of them witnessed the miracles of Jesus, how He healed the sick and opened blind eyes and raised the dead, how this miracle worker from Nazareth has the power to deliver us from our Roman rulers. And it's understandable how they desired that and wanted that for them and for their children. But Jesus was about establishing an eternal kingdom that would endure forever. You know, 150 years or so before this Palm Sunday, the people of Jerusalem greeted another victor, Simon Maccabeus. Simon Maccabeus was a warrior priest. And he fought against the Seleucid Empire and he was victorious over that empire. And so when Simon Maccabeus came into Jerusalem about 150 years ago before Jesus did, guess what the crowds did? They sang songs of victory and they waved palm branches. And that's what they're wanting to see Jesus do again. They want a repeat performance. Different cast of characters, but same plot. A Jewish military hero defeats the evil empire. But Jesus doesn't follow the script. Instead of taking up arms, He takes up cross. Instead of defeating His enemies militarily, He he dies for them. And He says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the kingdoms of this world, the political kingdoms of this world, they just come and go. But the kingdom of God endures forever. The peace that military conquest can give us only lasts for a short time. 
the, the, the peace that generals and military heroes can provide doesn't last forever. But the peace that King Jesus gives endures forever. He's the King of peace. You know, sometimes you'll hear this criticism about religion. And you'll probably hear it in the wake of what happened today. Religion leads to violence. So if we can just get rid of religion, we can get rid of violence. Now that's naive, obviously. But that's, that's some of the thinking that's out there. And they'll point to things like what happened this morning as evidence of that. You just need to get rid of religion because it leads to violence. Well, of course that's naive. You're not going to get rid of religion for a number of reasons. One is people long for transcendence. People long for meaning and purpose and to know God. And God has planted that in the human heart. So you're not going to get rid of that. The other thing is religious people have more babies than secular people. It's a demographic fact. So says the priest with six kids. I'm doing my part. So you're just not going to get rid of religious people. The problem isn't religion. The problem is the kind of religion. The issue is what does this religion teach? What sort of life does the founder of the religion embody? Is the founder of the religion a sword-wielding warrior who forces people to convert? Or does the founder of the religion win people over with sacrificial love? That makes all the difference. We follow Jesus, the King of Peace. We have known His peace. We have known His transforming love. And our job is to share this with other, other people. That's how the kingdom of Christ spreads. So on this Palm Sunday, we worship Jesus, the King, the King of Peace. We recognize, this is the third point, we recognize that He's worthy of worship and praise. He's the King, He's the King of Peace, and He's worthy of our praise and honor. And the crowds praise Him. And the crowds pay Him homage as King. They don't fully understand what He's about. They don't fully understand His mission, His identity. They can't conceive of a Messiah who would fulfill these prophecies that we read about from the Old Testament. Um, The prophecy of Isaiah, a suffering servant, who said, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. They they couldn't conceive of the Messiah fulfilling that prophecy. Or the, the, the psalm, who, um, Psalm 31, the psalmist says, My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of iniquity. My bones waste away. But I trust in You, O Lord. In some way, uh, Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament passages that we read about. Somebody suffering. Well, they didn't conceive that. They didn't understand it. But they did recognize it. Here's a king. Here's a mighty king sent by God. And he's due praise and worship. And so they laid their cloaks down before him. Why did they do that? Here's a little historical detail. Well, because I think in the Old Testament, there was another king, King Jehu. And uh, this is Second Kings chapter 9. And King Jehu was anointed by Elijah to be the king of Israel. And he defeated the house of Ahab and he rid Israel of Baal worship. And when he was anointed king, he rode down the road and people put their cloaks before him. So this is echoing what happened 
in prior history with King Jehu, the king of Israel. But now Israel is paying homage to a greater king, a better king, as they lay their cloaks before Jesus. They wave palm branches. Matthew just says branches, but from John we get palm branches. Palm branches were a sign of victory. Victory after a battle. Palm branches, I think, are associated with uh, the presence of God in the Old Testament because palm branches show up in the temple that Solomon built. Images of palm branches were carved into the, into the temple, which of course is the dwelling place of God. And then I think perhaps um, the, 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 the strongest symbol of the palm branch was during the annual festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people used palm branches to, be, to build their shelters. And um, they would construct these little shelters and they would live in them for seven days with their family. And this reminded them of how God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. So palm branches is associated with God's provision and God's presence and God's victory. And all that's coming together as they praise God, as they praise Christ, rather. And then they're reciting this psalm. Psalm 118, which we recited out there before we, we came into the church today. Psalm 118 is a very important psalm. It was part of the Jewish Passover liturgy. This is something they sang every Passover. Hosanna, which means the Lord saves. Our God is a God of salvation. We declare it and we look for it. The Lord saves. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They're recognizing that God's salvation now is coming through Jesus. And they're reciting something that's been part of their Passover liturgy. And at the center of the Passover liturgy was the Passover Lamb. And it was through the blood of the Passover Lamb that the people of Israel were delivered from the judgment of God. And now the crowd, not knowing this, of course, but the crowd is praising the true Passover Lamb who's going to take away the sins of the whole world. So they were right to praise Him, this King of peace. And it's right and it's good for us to praise Him and worship Him today, isn't it? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. I was reading this book on worship by a former um, bishop in the Anglican church. It's a book about Anglican worship, but he makes several points just in general about worship. He said, Part of the problem with the modern world today when it comes to worship is we think of worship as a means to an end. And we're the end. (laughs) How does it benefit me? What do I get out of it? But he said that's the wrong way of thinking about worship. We worship God because of a few objective truths. He is God. He is Lord. He is Savior. He's worthy of worship. And we are made in His image. We are His children. We are part of His creation. And it is right and good for creation. Created beings to praise and worship their Creator and their Redeemer. And he says we lose something when we lose worship. When we stifle praise. When we drop out of the congregation. When we don't join with the people of God. We lose something that's at the heart of our humanity. He says think about it this way. You know, We are rational beings as human beings. We're thinking beings. The more irrational we become the less human. We're still human, but we're not living up to our human potential. And he says, the less we worship, the more we stifle praise. We're being false to our nature. as God's children. 
And we're not recognizing the objective work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, Luke says this, when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the disciples were praising Him, the religious leaders, the Pharisees said, wait a second, Jesus, do you see what they're doing? They're worshiping You. You can't have them do that. They're acknowledging that God is at work in You. Only God is due worship and praise. So Jesus, stop them from praising You. And you remember what Jesus said? If they don't praise Me, even the rocks are going to cry out. Why? Because He's the King. And He's worthy of praise and honor. So it's right for us to join in praise. To praise Him now and forevermore. He's our King. The King of peace. Worthy of praise and honor. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Help us to do that, Lord. Today and throughout this, this Holy Week, as we remember what You have done for us in obedience to Your Father and for His glory. We thank You for Your great love and salvation which You show us this week. And help us every day of this week to take some time to acknowledge You as King and to praise You for who You are and what You've done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you please